Thank you so much, Mark. That was a very kind introduction and really enjoyed the Greek food that we had together earlier this week. It's really a joy to be with you this morning because it gives me the opportunity to thank you in person for your long partnership with Third Millennium Ministries, your prayers, your faithful financial support. Uh, we have many of our staff who are right here and part of this church and nurtured by this church. In fact, uh, our own, your own Ileana Perez is here. I want to thank you for your ministry to her family during this uh, tender time in their lives. Thank you for being with them uh, this Christmas in their, in their sorrow. Uh, it also is always an honor uh, to open God's word together uh, with God's people. Uh, so open your Bibles, if you would, or your smartphones, or just read along on the screen as together we look at a very familiar passage this morning. Uh, even if you're here and haven't grown up in the church, you're new to Orangewood, you've probably heard this story. You've probably been to a Christmas pageant. You may have watched uh, Charlie Brown Christmas and heard Linus recite this. Uh, one of the things, though, is that familiarity can be dangerous. We can stop looking at the details. Oh, I know that story. We can stop asking questions. And we can miss some of the very important details that actually are crucial for us in the difficulties, in the nitty-gritty of our own spiritual journey. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just ask you to pay careful attention to each word. The question that we're considering this morning is, how does God build his kingdom? How does God bring peace to the world? And by answering these questions as we read from Luke 2, we're going to get into the real story, the nitty-gritty, not the Hallmark Christmas special version, but Luke the physician, the one who'd seen a lot of blood, the one who'd seen a lot of death, the one who painstakingly records the details. So let's read together from Luke chapter 2. This is God's Word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. He was to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. 
and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Now, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Let's pray together. Lord, you've taught us to ask. Ask and you will give to us more of your Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. The spirit who helps us understand how high and wide and deep your love is for your people and for your world. The spirit who gives us boldness and courage to walk in your ways, to serve as your witnesses. Give us more of your spirit this morning, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I have to confess to you, brothers and sisters, this morning, I really do prefer the Hallmark Christmas special. I prefer the Christmas Instagram photograph. You got to love this. Isn't this great? Got the whole extension thing going. Got the selfie there going. Everybody's smiling. Just take the picture. Just take the picture. The baby's quiet right now. Just take the picture. That's the version of Christmas, isn't it, that we kind of put in our Christmas letter. We put on the positive filter, even when we have difficult news to share. We scurry past it. Nothing in the Christmas letter about the difficulties in our marriages, about the difficulties with our children. Don't want to air our dirty laundry with 75 of our closest friends. But I want to say this morning, brothers and sisters, that I'm so thankful for Luke's version of the story. I have an Australian Aussie Christian sister named Natasha Moore. I don't know her personally, but I still go to the Sydney Morning Herald every once in a while to see what's going on down under. And just this week, notice what was written. We turned the story into a Christmas postcard a series of enviable Instagram moments. We treat it like a Christmas letter. We skip over Mary and Joseph as refugees fleeing Herod's slaughter. We sing to ourselves, no crying he makes. And there you have it. Voila, an airbrushed version of the incarnation. Natasha wants us to wrestle with the details. She wants us to do Christmas by the book. So let's, do, let's dig into it this morning. How does God build his kingdom? How does he bring peace to the earth? First, what we see in this story is that the shepherds' stories are much more important than imperial edicts for the spread of God's kingdom. Now, the edict is there. That's what emperors do. They issue edicts. And one went out into all the provinces that everyone should be registered. 
Now, we have to know, though, why the registration is required. Emperors want to count so they can collect taxes, so they can conscript people for the army, so they can assess what's going on and how to assert their power, how to gather the raw retail resources, bring them to Rome in the ships so that we can live off the luxury and live off the raw goods of all of our provinces. So yes, the emperor issues an edict. But what's unusual about Luke's account is that this is not the beginning of the story. You see, the regional histories that were written at the time by all of those different provinces, they would fit their story, the story of their people, in the bigger story of Rome. Their cities bore the name of the Caesars who had conquered them. But not Luke. Luke is taking a much more daring tact. No, he starts instead with the promises that God has made to Israel, to the house of Abraham, to the house of David. For Luke, Rome's reach is too short. The reign of its Caesars is too brief. He doesn't begin with Rome. So we hear in Zechariah's song, we hear how God raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, how God is remembered in the birth of John the Baptist, in the birth of Jesus, the holy covenant that he swore to Abraham. It's Israel, not Rome, that will be a light to all the nations of the world. It turns out in Luke's story that Caesar Augustus just has a bit part. Caesar is just a foil, a faux lord, a pretend emperor. No, you see, there's a branch that is coming from Jesse's seed, whose delight is the fear of the Lord, the one true God. He is the one who will decide with justice. He is the one who will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Luke's story is about peace, but not the Pax Romana. No, the peace of Christ. On December 9th, about a year ago, under new restrictions developed by the government of President Xi Jinping, our brothers and sisters in the early reign Covenant Church in Chindu province was raided by Chinese police. Over 200 church members on Sunday morning worship were arrested in violation of the new restrictions for registration. They were taken to jail. Their pastor, Wang Yi, is still in jail. Their property was seized. Many church members were detained in questions. Many lost access to their bank accounts and incurred heavy fines. Similar things are happening even in Wenzhou province, known as the Chinese Jerusalem for all of its churches. Crosses have been torn down. Church buildings have been bulldozed. Instead of registering, and by registering, that means giving control over pastoral appointments and church doctrine to the state. No, underground churches. They've divided into smaller groups. On their WeChat apps, they meet in groups of 20. On encrypted Zoom, they meet in small groups and they study the scriptures. They lament 
and read the Lament Psalms. They know who's coming and who's going, but they don't stop gossiping the gospel. I remember being in a house church in Beijing two years ago. I was preaching that morning on the passage in John's gospel where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And I had made the point in the sermon that Jesus washed Judas's feet. Afterwards, as was their custom, we gathered into small groups to discuss the sermon. I didn't know that was going to happen. And I'll never forget the man who just kept repeating the same thing. I couldn't understand, but I knew it was the same thing over and over again. And my translator, Pastor David, his English name, he said he keeps saying, Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus washed Judas's feet. This is hard for me. He washed the feet of the one who would betray him. How can we not continue to share the powerful news that changes the hearts of even our enemies? Jesus washed Judas's feet. Luke knows his audience. He knows the stage he's on. He knows that those who are reading this nitty-gritty account of the Christmas story are under the shadow of Rome. These words, good news, Savior, Lord, peace, they're imperial words. Just a few years before Jesus' birth, around 9 BC, there was a, a new calendar started. You see, from the birthday of the god Augustus is the beginning of gospel, good news for the world that came by him. Providence has sent Augustus as a savior for us that he might end war and bring peace. Luke is quite intentionally exposing the foe, Lord, by pointing to the one who comes into the nitty-gritty of our lives, who takes on flesh and lays down his life for his people to bring peace. Today, there's one altar of Augustan peace that still stands in Rome. But if you stand up over the hill and you look over the city of Rome, what do you see? Hundreds and hundreds of crosses and churches, hundreds of altars of peace, the peace of Christ. And this morning, even as we were gathering to sing, millions and millions were singing throughout every nation, peace on earth, goodwill to men. No, Luke has it right. It's not the emperor's edicts that bring about the kingdom, the true kingdom. It's the gospel gossiping of shepherds and factory workers and family members in Chinese underground churches and in Roman provinces. And yes, in U.S. states that spreads God's kingdom. Well, there's a second part of how God spreads his kingdom. God uses sinful and sinned against weak and sometimes strong people who've experienced his grace to build his kingdom. We've already seen that Luke is very careful about his words. He's very careful about the details. And so 
We see in chapter 2, verse 5, that Luke describes Mary as Joseph's betrothed. Many times in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, he could have finagled a bit and said that she was his wife because, you see, betrothal was part of the whole marriage process. But he says the shocking news that she's betrothed and she's with child. Luke faces the facts in terms of propriety. The pregnancy is ill-timed, ill-planned. And at first, it was deeply, deeply troubling to Mary and to Joseph both. Can you imagine the struggle between them? Joseph's sense of betrayal. Mary's sense of being so misunderstood, so mistrusted. Now, what they needed in their family relationship was the intervention of God's word. They needed to see that it wasn't just about them. As imperfect as the details seemed to be, that their relationship, their plan for life was a part of a bigger story, part of a bigger plan. And so the angel reveals this plan to Joseph in a dream. No, this is what Isaiah the prophet had promised all along. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. He shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We saw it in chapter 1 as well. Rebecca and Sarah, the stories of their barrenness. Those are the words that Luke uses to describe Elizabeth, that she's well advanced in years before she and Zechariah conceive. You see, it's nothing new. God uses the frailties, the weaknesses, the sicknesses, the broken relationships, even, yes, the sins of our family histories to tell a bigger story, to show his glory through our weakness, to show his strength and his grace through a sinful people. What are those wounds in your family this morning? I know if you're like me, you're dreading some of the conversations that will happen with extended family over Christmas because they'll be difficult to navigate. So much has happened and so much bad has happened over the past year that will be shared. And yet you see what Luke is saying in the Nitty-gritty details of our family life is what Gabriel says to Mary. Nothing is impossible with God because he delights to show himself in our weakness, in our need, even to use being sinned against and sinning ourselves to bring glory to himself. Are you traveling under the burden of your sins this morning? Are you holding the ways in which you've been sinned against, against others? Hear and believe the good news of great joy from Gabriel this morning. Nothing is impossible with God. So Luke's nitty-gritty portrayal of Christmas is going against the grain. 
It's not the Instagram version, but it's a version that we can relate to. In fact, it's in these difficult details that we find the truth that we need to truly rejoice in the good news of Christmas. There's a third thing, though, and that is that the good news is brought first to the poor. We remember the words of the innkeeper in every Christmas pageant. There's no room in the end. All the Airbnbs in Bethlehem are taken. It's often explained that the registration is closing in and there's no vacancies. But perhaps a better explanation could be found in Luke's attention to the economic details of life in first century Palestine. You see, the word that is translated in, in Luke chapter 2, is the same exact Greek word that is used in Luke 22, when the disciples come together in the upper room to meet together for that last supper, where their feet are washed. You see, we have here a diagram that shows what a typical first century house would be like. Mary's pregnancy was unannounced. There was no way to call ahead and let people know when you would arrive. But Joseph's family probably hosted them, either in a cave where the animals were gathered out in the shepherd's field, or more likely in the lower level of their house. Because you see, that's where the young animals would be brought in at night. And that stall that you see right up there, the same word is manger. Or there would be a stone feeding trough there for the little animals. That was the place where Jesus was born, in the feeding trough, in the stall. Paul put it this way, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. Throughout each one of the Gospels, isn't it interesting? We never see Jesus going to the wealthy, never see him inviting the powerful. Now, he attends their meals. He responds, yes, to their invitations. But what does Jesus do? How does Jesus initiate? What are his plans for his ministry? When left to Jesus, he is going to the outcast, to the tax collector's home for lunch. He's going and he's meeting with the tax collectors and the prostitutes at a party. He's allowing the woman of ill repute to anoint him with oil and to touch him. Jesus said it this way. The healthy don't need a doctor. No, I'm going to seek the sick and the lost. Recently, Darlene and I had a friend from Kenya spend some time with us. Her name is Florence Hababwe. She was able to travel to the U.S. to help us celebrate the wedding of my brother-in-law, Bob. And she could do that because she had just retired from her directorship. You see, for 11 years, Florence did the work of her king among the orphans of rural Kenya. For 10 years before that, she had served the homeless in Atlanta. 
Now, Florence was born into a family of influence. She has government ministers in her family. She could have easily afforded a home in Nairobi and been there, supported by her family. But she was called by the king, the one who goes to the margins, the one who goes to the widow and to the orphan. And so she moved to her ancestral home about seven hours drive outside of Nairobi to run her church's orphanage, caring for those children, many of them abandoned by their parents because they had physical or mental disabilities. So Florence was kind of the one-person show. She raised funds for diapers, for food, for school books, and yes, for Bibles, because Florence knows the man of sorrows, the friend of sinners, and she knows that good news comes to the poor first. You see, this Jesus that Luke depicts for us wrapped in the poverty of a feeding stall, he said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, finally and quickly, we come to a fourth thing, that God is building his kingdom, not in the heavens, but here on the earth as the heavenly army attests. Verses 10 through 14 of chapter 2 are the heart of Luke's birth announcement. We've heard it a couple of times this morning. But I want to say a few things about these shepherds. They're not the ones in the nice sort of towels wrapped around their head that we see in the Christmas pageants. These sailors, these shepherds have a sailor's mouth on them. They're out in the cold. They need something with a little bit of nip in it to keep them warm. In fact, the rabbis of the first century tell us that the shepherds are such ill repute that their testimony isn't any good in the court of law. And yet, these are the first evangelists. These are the first to spread the good news about the birth of Jesus. They're not clean. They're certainly not righteous. They're not ritually pure. They're the salt of the earth. And the angel comes to them. Now, I want us to see something because we've sang about this this morning. Again, I want to draw our attention to the details. Luke describes a multitude of the heavenly host singing glory to God in the highest. Oh, wait. I just fell right into it. I said singing. Is that what Luke says? Luke says saying glory to God in the highest. Take a look at this artist's depiction because I think it gets it about right. These aren't the cute kids in the white sheets and the little garland around their heads. No, these are warriors, soldiers, the Lord of hosts from the Psalm 24. That's the Lord of the armies. These are the heavenly soldiers now come to the earth. Heaven has come to earth. That's the movement of God's kingdom. And so what's happening here in Luke chapter 2 verse 14 goes something like this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. 
It's the march and the beating of the shields of an army that is announcing the victory of God because the king has come. The king, the deliverer, the savior has been born. So I want to ask a question this morning. As we've sort of looked carefully at some of the details of the Christmas story. Are you finished with the Instagram version? Have you come to your end yet, brother and sister, neighbor and friend? Into trusting your own ability to fix your life? to fix your family's lives? Come to the end of promises of political leaders to defend your interests and to bring peace? Have you come to the end of social movements who are going to make everything better? Luke is saying there's only one Savior. There's only one Deliverer. There's only one who is so powerful that he can use the weak things of the earth to bring about his peace. That he can work in the difficulties, in the illnesses, in the aging bodies of your lives to use you and me to bring about his peace, to bring about his kingdom. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. You see, Isaac Watts has it right. This Savior didn't just bring forgiveness to you and me. This Savior is bringing the renovation of the world. I want to go to one last picture this morning. It's a picture of a hurricane-blown church in Panama City, Florida. This is First Presbyterian Church. This is where they just recently gathered to sing Christmas carols. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known, far as the curse is found. Every nook and cranny of your life, of your workplace, of your kid's school, Yes, even of our broken government. No, he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. October 10th, 2018, first Category 5 hurricane since Hurricane Andrew. Michael exploded that church. And yet this is the picture. This is the picture of the true church. Not the building, but the people. The people that good news have come to. It's remarkable because just this past fall, we got a check from First Pres Panama City at Third Mill. Their regular support check. We couldn't believe it. We called to make sure, are you sure you want to give this? They said, yes. Pastors still need to be trained. The work must go on. How does God build his kingdom? How's the hymn go? Not with swords loud crashing, nor roar of stirring drums, 
with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. It isn't pretty, Luke's account of Christmas. Certainly no Christmas letter or Instagram post. No, it's pretty raw. But if you're like me, it's going to help you hold on this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a Bible that doesn't hold back, isn't afraid of the brokenness of our lives. In fact, relishes the opportunity to talk about good news in relation to our weakness. Because that's how good you are. That you wouldn't withhold your own son, but you would send him to us with flesh and bone to take on our sorrows and to make a new creation. We honor him. We worship him. Jesus the Lord. Amen.